So this evening, we are going over a familiar passage of Scripture that will really be in two parts for this week that will lead us into next week. Because it's within this particular passage that we have probably heard very often that we receive the command of the Lord and how we ought to conduct our lives, what our lives should be focused on, and then the practical implications of that. So if you would, please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we'll be reading this evening verses 1 through 6. This is one passage that, of course, gives us uh, the greatest commandment in the law. As Jesus would, would tell us in Matthew chapter 22, Luke chapter 12, when he was asked what is the greatest commandment in the law, he quotes from Deuteronomy 6. And, of course, we know that, that great saying of our Lord, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is a very familiar command to us. This is something that we've heard a number of times, no doubt. It is something that we need to understand rightly, that we need to, need to dig in, into here, because the practical implications of this have a great impact not only on us as individuals, but us as families, us as a church. Because right after he would say this to the, to the people of Israel and commanding them to love the Lord with everything in them, Then comes the next command, teach them to your children. So that's what we're going to go over next week is that portion of this text and the implications of that of teaching diligently to your sons of of all these things that have been spoken. That means and implies that the family is to be one that is worshipful. A family that worships together, that the parents are teaching the children and guiding the children. That worship isn't something that just takes place here as, as a full family of God, but it takes place individually in your individual, in individual families. And we need to understand the importance of that. And that's something that we're really aiming towards, something that we're trying to promote within the congregation even more so, is family worship. Because God's word commands us to do so. It's going to look differently, uh, just to give you kind of a heads up a little bit. It's going to look different within each family as to how this takes place. So one thing that we are going to do next week, and I pray that you all will be back next week, is that we're going to bring out certain resources that, that I use in my own family, that Paul uses, that Sean uses. We'll bring a number of different things in to to show what we can use in order to promote family worship. And it's not as difficult as what we may think of it, but we'll get into that next week. But we need to see the importance of it. We need to see that this is something that is vital to the family. And it's vital to the family because if we're going to love the Lord in the way that He says for us to love Him, then it has to trickle down to the children. It has to be taught to the children to love Him in this way too. Not just in families that have children, 
but it should be taking place regardless of what your family unit looks like. Whether it's just you, whether it's you, your spouse. However, it needs to be happening in the family. And we'll get into that next week. But the first thing that we need to understand is how we should be loving the Lord in order that we can rightly teach the children how to love the Lord. It's one thing to say, I love the Lord. It's one thing to, to speak of things that are in the Scripture, but it's a whole different thing to truly understand what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might or with all your strength, as the New Testament tells us. What does it mean? And is it even really possible to do? Well, to the extent really that it's commanded of us, it's not because we're, we're fallen human beings, we're, we're sinful, we, we, have, we have those hindrances, of course. But as much as redeemed, finite people can, we need to strive to love Him as much as we can, to this extent. So we're looking at this passage, and some of the things that are brought about within this passage on how we can love Him is first is to, you can't love someone you don't know. So as Moses is going through all of the recounting the history of Israel up until this point, and he recounts to them again of the Ten Commandments, and he brings to light how the Lord had revealed Himself, it is in this context, after the Lord has revealed Himself in such a way through His written Word and through a specific revelation that God had done to, for all the people, that in light of this, this is how we love Him as we come to know Him. So we need to understand the importance of the Scripture when it comes to striving to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. I pray that this would indeed affect our hearts and affect our families as we see the importance of striving to love Him in this way in our individual lives, but teaching our family members to do the same. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, <clears throat> verses 1 to 6. Let us give our attention to the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and fallible words of the living God. Verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you were going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, we pray that the Spirit of God would guide our thoughts tonight that He would give us understanding, that He would apply this passage to our hearts indeed, that we may strive to love You in a way that honors You. 
that honors you in our, the life of the church, honors you in our individual families. Father, we pray that you teach us tonight, guide us, and conform us, shape and mold us to be what this passage calls for. Let us strive after it to lay hold of that which laid hold of us. May you be glorified in our hearts this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children said, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> we went over chapter 4 last Wednesday, and we're looking at, of course, how Moses is recounting the history of, of the people up until this point. This is the second generation that's getting ready to go into the promised land. The first generation has died out. This is the generation that's getting ready to go in, and there's that reaffirming of the covenant. It's not giving a new covenant. It's the same covenant that God made with the first generation, but it's a reaffirming of it. And these words recorded for us here in Deuteronomy, which means second law. Moses, <clears throat> in chapter 5, is once again speaking of when the Lord made the covenant with them, and he gave them the Ten Commandments. He goes over those ten once again. He speaks to them of how they assembled at the mountain and how they saw the fire and the clouds and the thick gloom. They saw all of this. They heard the Lord speak from heaven. They asked Moses to, to speak to the Lord himself. They were frightened by this, this great revelation of God. And this is what is said of this people in chapter 5. In verse 28... <clears throat> he says, the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me about him alone speaking to the Lord. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. But listen to this. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. That is that, is that, that disposition of, of God's soul, this, of his heart right here. And, and as he's looking over his people, oh, that they had such a heart that they would fear me and keep all of my commandments. In light of the things that they have heard, in light of the things that they have seen, you have Moses that is saying to them to once again to, to heed the words of the Lord. So he says <clears throat> in verse 1 here, This is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. This is, this is the, the, seeing the centrality of the revelation of God because of the commandment that's getting ready to come. Keep the statutes, heed them, listen to them, the statutes, the judgments, the commandments, because it is in the commandments and in the statutes and in the judgments that the very nature of God is put on display, that you can know him even more fully through his word. And that is a great importance for that commandment that's getting ready to come because of these, because of the revelation of God and coming to know him. 
This is how you develop love. This is how that love is cultivated in you by, by knowing the Lord. By coming to understand His nature and His character, His desires, His law, His will, all through the written revelation that has been given. This is where it is difficult at times to, <clears throat> to listen to folks when they talk about how much they love the Lord and all of this. And, and granted, we can't judge a person's heart and, and all of that. And person's sanctification is, is different for everybody. But it's one of those things that how can you love someone that you know nothing about? Love has to be developed by what you know. By coming to know. And so the scripture is there for the people of God. Then the scripture is here for us in order to teach us of the greatness of our God, that love is cultivated in us, that it grows, that it's not just a word that we say only in appreciation of perhaps being delivered from hell. I love the Lord. Why? Because he keeps me from this. But how much more could it be that I love the Lord simply because of who he is the greatness of his being. That's a, that's a greater love than just being appreciative of, of delivering you from wrath. But how, do, how is all that cultivated? It's cultivated through the word of God. The centrality of scripture is, is vital if we are to grow in our love. And again, you can't love someone you don't know. And that's where Moses is coming coming before the people. And he's saying, this is the commandment, this is the statutes, this is the judgment that he's commanded me to teach you. And the reasons are given to us so that you and your son, your grandson, might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Because of the statutes and the judgments, that's how we have that reverential fear of God. Not a slavish fear, but a reverential fear. That holy reverence, that reverential affection of God as you come to understand who He is through the written revelation of God. This fear <clears throat> that the statutes awaken us to, is necessary because it demonstrates the greatness of Him. That he, is, that he is indeed the God who is high and lifted up, that there are none like Him. All of those wonderful attributes that we speak of when it comes to the holiness of God, all of those things are taught to us through the Scriptures. And as we come to understand that, we understand the awesomeness of God and I am really bad for using that word in a way that really doesn't apply as it should. But really thinking about the awesomeness of God and how He is awesome, it's something that causes awe and fear at the same time. That as you come to see Him, that, that there is a fear because of how great and magnificent He is, and yet something is continually drawing us to Him. It is that affection, that reverential affection that is developed by the study of Scripture. By the knowledge of God. So when we are awakened with that fear of God, it shows itself in the observance of His commandments. That you might fear the Lord your God and, 
and keep all his statutes and his commandments? Because this isn't just doing this out of duty. We can look at that and say, well, as you come to understand the terror of the Lord and you understand just how great that he is in the sense of how, how much he can just wipe you out with one swipe, you better do what you're supposed to be doing. It's not, it's not trying to tell us that. That's not his intent. The intent is, as you see the greatness of him, that your desires then are to keep the statutes. This is how this is given to you, to you in the sense of this is how you show your reverence for him, your affection for him, your love for him by doing these things. Not out of a duty, but out of a great love for him, out of great affection that was first produced in us by that, by that reverential fear of coming to know him. He does say in this passage, and like I said, this will get, we'll get into more of this next week. But that your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God. I'm teaching you these statutes. I'm teaching you these judgments, Moses says. So that it's not just for you to know how to fear the Lord and how to keep his commandments, showing your reverence for him, but for your children too. The implication is you're learning it to teach it to your children. And you can see the heart of Moses as he is speaking these things to the people. That he is indeed pleading with them in one sense. Oh Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it. That it may be well with you. That you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. This is Moses' heart on display. This is, this is the pastor of, of the congregation of Israel as they're getting ready to go in the promised land. He can't go, but he, these, this is the last discourse for them. This is his heart when you get there. Oh, Israel, keep his commandments. Do what is right. Because by doing so and showing the Lord your God the love that he rightfully deserves, it may be well with you. Because he is taking you to a land that he promised to your fathers. Because he is the faithful God. He's taking you to a land that flows with milk and honey. That language is used a lot. A land flowing with milk and honey. It could be just speaking of, of the greatness of the land itself. It could be indeed speaking of the physical aspects of the land. Depending on what theologian you read. The emphasis is that it's a good land. It's a land that he promised. One writer says, a land flowing with milk and honey. It emphasizes the fertility of the soil and the bounty that awaited God's people. That it's the, the milk itself referring to the livestock having, having pasture there. And the honey, the, the vast farmland that's available. The bees having plenty of plants to draw nectar from. It's a land that has everything that is needed to bless the people of God. And in doing so, if you just stop to think about this, the Lord doesn't owe them any of this in order to receive reverence from them. Simply because of who God is, 
he's worthy of worship and he's worthy of praise and he's worthy of thanks in all of this. But you see the affection that God has for his people in the sense of it's not just demanding this because he can, but it's, it's, it's showing them his love for them in the sense of I'm giving you this land that I swore to your fathers and it's a good land. It's a great land and you will be blessed there. There's a great affection that is demonstrated from the people to the Lord and from the Lord to the people and how he blesses them. That is one of the great things when it comes to the Christian faith. It is, it's, it's not, and, and by all means, God could do this. Again, simply because of who he is, he can receive praise and honor and worship. And actually, when you go to Revelation chapter 4, and you see the Lord in the throne room and all of that, the, the angels and the others, they're praising him simply because he created. The redemption part of things don't even come in until chapter 5. They're just praising him simply because of who he is and that he created. But you, the, And the Lord could demand that of us simply because of who he is and the uniqueness of his being. But you see the great affection and love that God has for His people and the great blessings that He lavishes on them and He lavishes on you. you know, the Ephesians 1 tells us that, that the riches of His grace He lavished on us. The riches of His grace are yours. And so you see Moses who is emphasizing these truths this is what God is doing. This is how God is blessing you. So honor Him. When you get to the land that He swore to your fathers, this land flowing with milk and honey. You know, when you look back in chapter 4, verse 39, I mean, you see a lot of emphasis on Moses to the people. Know therefore today and take it to your heart. Take it to your heart that the Lord, He is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. In chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, He says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a, to a thousandth generation with those who love Him and keep His commandments or repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. The great blessing that he lavishes on those that love him. One of the texts of scripture that we are very familiar with, Romans 8.28, right? He works all things for good to those who love him. Even in the midst of circumstances that are very difficult, the great love of God is there and he takes the pain and he takes the suffering and he brings about his will to the praise of his glory. These emphasis, this emphasis that is given here is, is, is teaching the people, don't let your affections be divided. Keep his statutes, fear him, know him, teach your children to do the same. Affections cannot be divided. What else is going to be equal to him that would steal your affections? 
steal your heart. That's why he goes into, as he's talking about the centrality of the revelation of God producing all of that in us, then you hear that you have that declaration, which is referred to as the Shema. It means hear. It comes from the first word that we read of, hear, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You'll notice the word Lord is in all capitals. It's referring to the sacred name of God, Yahweh. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. Now, just as a footnote, this is one of the passages that we do go to in order to describe the, the compound nature of God when it comes to the triune nature of God. This word for one that is in this passage, the Lord is one, it is echad, which is compound nature. But there's something else that is being emphasized here. In light of all that Moses is saying, in the light of what has happened previously, in the previous generation, of how the previous generation was led by the Moabites in order to serve a completely different God, how the previous generation had asked Aaron to make them a God, the idolatry that has taken place beforehand, Moses' declaration to the people is, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. He is the only one. There is only one Yahweh. He is the absolute God. That is his emphasis here. There is no other. He is the absolute God, the one and only. It excludes polytheism, which inevitably they will fall into. It is to exclude syncretism. As, as God is not just a national God for Israel, they treated Him as such because they took the worship of God and they took the worship of other nations and they combined them together. Well, this is the God of that nation. This is the God we serve here. We'll just put them all together. And Moses is laying the foundation here. There is only one God and Yahweh is our God. There is no other. <clears throat> some, some even today like to entertain the thoughts that perhaps the same God is worshipped by all and that the same God is, is the one who brings us all together, all of this sort of thing. But that is simply not true. Unless we're talking about the God of Scripture, unless we're talking about the triune God, there is no other God. As Moses points out, in chapter 4, verse 28, of the judgment that comes upon them, there they will serve other gods, the work of men's hands that are wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. They're gods that can't do anything. The figment of men's imagination. And yet men will give all their affection to them instead of the true God. So that call is there. This is our only God. Your affections aren't to be divided. Your affections are to be for Him alone. Because there is no equal to Him. So consider the great blessings that He has lavished on you. And serve Him faithfully in the land that He swore to your fathers. The faithful God that is now bringing it to pass. So here's the text of Scripture that we, that we know so well. 
in light of this declaration, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. And that would have great impact for this generation, again, considering what had happened before and how the affections were divided by the previous generation. Their hearts were actually still in Egypt. So many times they said, let us go back. But Moses says to the people, you shall love the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is how we are to all love God because Jesus says this is the greatest commandment in the law. The second is to love our neighbor, but this is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God in this manner. How do we do that? It's one thing to say that. And it's one thing to, to give the Lord lip service, but it's another to, to truly understand the implications of this. Because the implications of this indeed begin from within, but it spills out. He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, acknowledging that that spiritual relationship begins from within. It begins in our hearts, the seed of our affections. It begins with our desires. You know, one writer was pointing out that in order to love the Lord your God with all your heart, it is anticipating the great heart change that must take place for this to happen. Of how the Lord changes our hearts. And in doing so, He changes our affections and He changes our thoughts and He changes our wills and He aligns them with, with His own. Otherwise, if we don't have our wills, desires, and affections all rightly aligned, it's impossible to love the Lord in this kind of a way with all of our heart. That's why your affections can't be divided. If you have something else that is in your life that you are giving more emphasis to and more love to, then you cannot love the Lord in this kind of a way as He, as he commands you to do first and foremost. How can you? But again, in order to cultivate that love, it is understanding that declaration of Moses. He's the only God. The only God is Yahweh. And how do you know Him? You know Him through His statutes, through His judgments, through His commandments, through His written word. This is the God that we give our attention to. That's why we give our attention to His word. That every passage of scripture that we come to is teaching us of the greatness and the majesty of God. The one who is clothed with splendor. One who's seated in the heavens. The one who rules and reigns. Who does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth. And yet he gives any attention to us. That's why the psalmist says when I consider the heavens and the work of your hands. What is man? Would you pay any attention to him? And yet he does. In understanding the greatness. All, all, all of those things. And then the fact that of, of him extending grace and love to us. Moves our affections the more we come to understand these truths. But apart from understanding these truths, our hearts will not grow to love Him in that way. I mean, think of some of the passages that we know so well. But the psalmist says, Your word I have hidden in my heart. What is that referring to? The revelation of God He has on His heart. He delights in it. 
Why? Because it's teaching him about him. He says to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul. Now, depending on who you read, some would just look at this and just say that the heart and the soul and the might is all really just emphasizing the same things. It's just putting a lot of emphasis on it. And granted, that may be somewhat true. But there are other implications to consider as well. If you think about just the nature of soul, of how, of how the Lord had, had formed man of the dust of the earth and he breathed into him and, and he became a living soul. That, as one writer points out, that we love God from within and everything about us as people as living souls, we love Him with everything in us. So it's not just about loving Him with our desires and our affections and our wills, but it's loving Him with our, our passions, our perceptions, our thoughts, how we talk, how we work, our talents, our gifts, the circumstances of life and how we love Him in those times. It is emphasizing all of those things to love Him with our soul, our hearts and our souls. The entirety of who we are is to display the very love of God that we have for Him. Everything about us is to display our love for Him. So maybe some of those things we take for granted as well in the sense of loving the Lord with, with all of our soul and how we how we talk and how we work and, and all of that. But indeed, whether we eat, whether we drink, do all to the glory of God, right? Everything is to be done in a way that honors the Lord. Even when it comes to work and our jobs and various things like that, it's tiring and we get, we get agitated at times, but this is the means that God has provided to us to show us love to us that we may care for our families and take care of the things that He has blessed us with. This is the Lord showing us that He loves us by allowing us to have this work or whatever. And so it should be done then with reverence to Him because He's providing the job. He's providing the means. And so we use all of that in order to demonstrate our love for Him and the entirety of who we are displaying that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, this was very interesting to me, and I hope it's interesting to you as well. This particular Hebrew word, it serves as an adverb almost 300 times in the Old Testament. The adverb vary. It is used here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and in 2 Kings chapter 23 verse 25 as a noun, only two places. Uh, and in that particular passage, it talks about how King Josiah turned to Yahweh with all his heart, soul, and might. But otherwise, it's used as an adverb, very. So one theologian said, what does it mean to love God with all our veriness? That's how he puts it. This word is translated in Greek as power. It's translated from Aramaic as wealth. But as that particular writer points out, it's all heading in the same direction. 
that it's not only loving him from within and loving him with everything that we have in the sense of the, the talents and the gifts and the talking and the working and all of that, but it is, it is loving him with, with all that, that we have in the sense of all of our resources. We love him and display that love. So this is encompassing really the totality of everything about us from within, how we work, and all the resources that are available to us, we're loving Him and showing that, that wholehearted allegiance to Him. Wholehearted allegiance in how, in how we are stewards of everything that He has put us over, of how we spend our money, of what things that we have available to us to, to demonstrate the love of God to others. Sometimes we like to, to compartmentalize. We like to say, well... The Lord is, is Lord over this, but these particular things over here are mine. But recognizing that He is Lord of all, that encompasses the totality of everything about us. This is how we are to love Him with everything about us. Everything. Not just some things, but everything about us. Our hearts. Our minds, our wills, our affections, our talents, our talk, our work, the circumstances of life and how we show love for Him during those times, all the resources that are available to us of how the Lord has blessed us, that we may bless others and show the love of God this way. We are to love Him with the totality of our being. Everything. So it goes back to this again. How can we love with that kind of love. How do we do that? Can you love someone you don't know with that kind of a love? No. It all comes back to the knowledge of God. Through the scripture. That it produces this kind of love. It cultivates this kind of love in us. That everything about us. We're trying and we're striving. We fail. We know we fail. But we keep going forward, striving to align everything about us with, with His desires and with, with His heart. And this is our demonstration of, of our love to Him and our commitment to Him because of all that He has done through Christ. So to love Him in this kind of a way, and obviously it is a very public display of this kind of love, but it is also a love then that will permeate the family. It will be evident within the family that you love the Lord. It will be evident that, that our hearts belong to Him and that our desire is for our children or others that are in our household or others in our family that they too would love the Lord in this kind of a way. And they would see the greatness of God as, as young people that they would see the magnificence of, of the God who truly is. I remember, you know, growing up and, and, you know, you're in elementary school, you're in middle school, and you get on into high school, and those are just some things that you don't really talk about. At least it wasn't for me. I was a little bit timid in that sense of, you know, you get a little embarrassed. Well, everybody thinks that this is cool over here. I'll be like a Debbie Downer if I, if I bring this up or try to talk about this. And it's much easier just to go with the crowd itself. But to instill in our children that the greatest 
gift that humanity has ever been given is Christ. And in light of that, in light of this great gift that has been given, which is Christ, you have the privilege of knowing the one whom you study at school in science. You don't know you're studying him, but you're studying his creation. He's the one that speaks it into into existence. This is the all-powerful God who speaks and it happens. It did happen. We need to teach our children that this is a serious matter. We need to teach them to, to love in this kind of a way, but they need to see it in us first. They need to see us love like this. And again, it comes back to do we fail? Yes, we do fail. We understand what we should do. We understand that we do fail. But again, thank the Lord that His mercies are new every morning. And we can start to do right. And here's the great hope that we all have is that one day we will do this right. One day we will love Him in this kind of a way perfectly. And we look forward to that. But that's what we're striving for while we're here. We labor for this. We give all of our energy for this. You know, the Puritan Thomas Watson He wrote a book called Heaven Taken by Storm. And he had written the book based on what the scriptures tell us in Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. Now, the way that Thomas Watson understands this is not that this is talking about sinful man. Uh, against the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God suffering violence as a, resort, uh, as a result of violent men taking it by force because unregenerate man can do nothing to the kingdom of God. But Thomas Watson understands this as this is speaking of those who are in Christ, who are giving everything, every ounce of energy to take the kingdom. Just as Paul says, I'm seeking to lay hold of that which laid hold of me. And we're not just waltzing into the kingdom. We're running towards it. We're striving for it. We're, we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we're trying to run our race well. But to run our race well and to look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, we have to understand who he is and the greatness of who he is as to why we're striving to him. Why we're running to Him with everything in us. So in our own lives, in our own individual life, in our own families, for you that have children, can your children understand and know how much that you love the Lord? Do we show others by, by not just the words that we speak, but, but how our affections are played out and, and displayed in everything that we're trying to do? Do they see the love of God in you? Is it real to you? Do you have your affections divided? And if you do have your affections divided, what is it that is dividing them? What is it that has captured part of your heart? Because sometimes we have to stop and think, 
anything else in this world that can capture my heart is only temporary. But the one who has truly captured my heart that I need to be focused on is the one who is eternal. So what is it then? Sometimes we've got to sit and think about these things. We've got to reflect on it. Where do your affections lie? I have to consider that too. We all do. Because the very thing that we should be doing is honoring the Lord and teaching the next generation to do the same. But they have to have an example to follow. So we will, we will stop there. And next Wednesday, we will continue on with the rest of what Moses is speaking to the people. And, <clears throat> and again, we will have various resources here to show you what you can use in order to do your family worship that will make it easy on you, whether you're, you're, it's just you, whether you're husband and wife, whether you're, you're, you have children or whatever the case is. Sometimes it can be a little bit intimidating at first. And this isn't to say that we all got it figured out and we all do it right because we, we, we all fail in this too. But a failure is no reason to stop doing it. It's to keep doing it and to keep striving to do it. So these things will help us in order to promote this within the family. If you would, please stand with me. We will be dismissed in prayer. Paul, will you dismiss us?